Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Sheila Wise Rowe, counselor, spiritual director, and author of Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey of Lament and Celebration. In this new book, Sheila explores the complex emotional landscape that comes along with the Black experience for those who are young and gifted, and she covers topics from perfectionism to boundaries to healing from trauma. The principles that Sheila teaches us through the pages of her book address these experiences in a way that fully acknowledges the complexity of the young lives she is talking about, while also being universal enough to apply authentically to the experiences of all of us, young or old and from a variety of backgrounds. I especially love the way Sheila's work is so fully undergirded by her deep faith, a quality that I think comes through loud and clear both in this interview and in her writing. This is the second time Sheila has been on the podcast, and it's a delight to have her back with us for a fresh conversation. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Sheila Wise Rowe is a graduate of Tufts University and Cambridge College with a master's degree in counseling psychology. For over 25 years, she has counseled abuse and trauma survivors in the United States. Sheila ministered to homeless and abused women and children in Johannesburg, South Africa, where she also taught counseling and trauma-related courses for a decade. Sheila currently lives in the Boston area, where she is a writer, counselor, speaker, and spiritual director. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. Hang on a second. I almost forgot to tell you, we have a special offer for you from InterVarsity Press, a code for 30% off of Sheila's books when you buy one or more of them at ivpress.com by October 11th, 2022. Just use the code WELL22. I'll put it in the show notes. And now, on to my conversation with Sheila. You joined us on the podcast in January of 2020, which was just before the pandemic. Yeah. And it's been quite a couple <laughs> of years. So how are you? How good? How, good. What was your pandemic experience like? Wow. Um, hmm. Let's start. Um, you know, it was it was surreal in so many ways. It, mm -hmm. um, you know, I I did the launch for healing racial trauma, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I have all of these things scheduled for the rest of the year, but no, <laughs> everything went on lockdown. Everything was canceled. It was really strange. Um, our daughter, who was in college, came home. Husband, who was working on campus, was then remote. It just was. It was really a weird time. Um, yeah. And I think it. It also was. You know, when we look at when things kind of blew up, not kind of they did blow up around the murder of George Floyd, and just very tumultuous time um, where a lot of people were slowing down. I wasn't. So mm -hmm. I had so many opportunities to speak and to present and I had invitations all over the place. And um, I think when I look back, I, I think I did 90 things. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. insane. It was insane. I don't even know what I was doing. That was just crazy. <laughs> Well, and in addition to all those things, you wrote this book. What, yes. what was that like for you to write a book in the middle of a pandemic? You know what? It really felt like it was like the next step from mm -hmm. healing racial trauma. And um, 
And so it really, really was speaking into this space where I thought there was a gap kind of in what the conversations were about and a particular demographic um, that I could totally relate to um, Mm. that I felt like were kind of falling through the cracks. So it gave me the space because I started to have more clearer boundaries in 2021 mm-hmm. where I, I was not accepting every single invitation that came my way and a lot more reflective time, a lot more prayer, a lot more listening. Um, and so because everything had slowed down, I then could focus a bit mm-hmm. more than I, I could have. I mean, I did start writing it towards the end of 2020, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it did the slowing down had a good effect, um, although it was isolating. Yeah, yeah. That was weird, yeah. Well, let's, um, let's turn and talk about your book, Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey yeah. of Lament and Celebration. And I want to start um, in the first chapter. You, mm-hmm. you begin the book with some words from Chadwick Boseman, the beloved actor from the film Black yeah. Panther. Yeah. And he quotes musician Nina Simone in her song mm-hmm. to be young, gifted and black. And through yeah. this, you set the stage for the book and its purpose. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and about who you hope will read this book. Yeah. You know, I, I came across that, um, his interview, what he said on stage, um, when accepting the award, um, for best film for Black Panther Um, but also afterwards. And I wanted to just read very quickly what he said. So in his speech, he said, to be young, gifted, and Black, we all knew that we had something special that we wanted to give the world and that we could be full human beings in the roles that we were playing, that we could create a world that exemplified the world we wanted to see. He later continued backstage and he said, and he talked about this, just the whole experience for he and other um, black castmates. Um, and when you aspire to do something that is outside the realm of what the world sees you doing, to be young, gifted and black is all of that. Hmm. It's having everything, then not quite being able to grasp it and to be able to persevere through it though. Hmm. Um, and so that, was just like a culmination of kind of, you know, that that journey of lament and celebration, but also perseverance. Yeah. And so this book really, it's, it's for young, gifted and black millennials and younger adults who really strive for that better world. Um, but it's also, uh, I've heard feedback from people who said, you know what, I'm not of that generation, I'm older, and this is reminding me of my own journey, my own story, um, and the places where I I still need to process and still need to heal. And then I've also heard feedback from parents who say, you know, I'm reading this, and you're sharing the stories of these people and their younger selves, and that's my kid right now, mm-hmm. and I'm really getting some helpful um, helpful information tools. Uh, encouragement and how to um, how to parent this kid and so it is for all of that those but I also want to say that you know it's also for people who don't fit in that category Um, and it's for white folk Um, it's it's a way to learn um, and to see a, a totally different side than perhaps you're used to. Um, and I've gotten feedback from some white um, readers and including interviewees who I had an interview with a, um, a, a white podcaster and um, actually was a radio host. So this white radio host said, you know, he read the book and he said, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, so self-centered, but there was so much of this that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised at that. Um, and, and so I hope that's not, he's like, I hope it's not bad. And I'm like, no, no, it's, you know what? I, I, I said to him, this is good <laughs> because yeah. so often as a person of color, we have to locate ourselves and other stories. And 
and try to glean something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is even in this book, even though the, the target is not you, however, you can learn about young, gifted and black folk, but you can also learn from them about your own life Yeah, and the things that you may need to address. And even in whether it's processing, processing your own stuff or raising your own children who aren't black. Yeah. You know, you share one really beautiful story that describes teaching your own son about the difference between the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of perfection. And it's the kind of thing, you know, this, it's an example of the kind of thing that I think can really be universally understood, but you had it centered in the experience of your, your son. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that concept of the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of perfection, you know, particularly in as we think about mentoring younger people, mm. um, as you know, if we're professors, if we have um, yeah. younger people in our lives around in church or at the university. Yeah. Um, you know what, I, I think that the, the challenge for this group in particular is that um, operating at such a higher level, and I'm, I'm not just talking about academics, it can be in any area, it's sports, it's music, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, the whole gamut. But there can be this real striving for um, even beyond excellence, this striving for perfection, which is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. However, um, too often um, there's this kind of getting caught up in that sense of I, everything has to be perfect to the point that it actually is detrimental to, um, to our emotional uh, and mental health. And so trying to make sure that um, in, in affirming the kids around uh, what it is that they're doing, that there's a balanced perspective of, yes, they're, they're moving towards excellence and, and basically giving their all to what it is that they're engaging in. Um, however, knowing at the same time that they're not going to be perfect mm-hmm. because nobody is except for Jesus, <laughs> God. Yes. <laughs> um, and so being very intentional about how we even celebrate um, that we're able to, yes, celebrate the excellence, but, and, and to be aware of when we pick up the sense that, that there's a slipping into this perfectionism to just kind of bring the, the person back to that reality of how holding both of those things, you know, it's, um, it's lament, which is, it's kind of like the ways in which things didn't happen the way that you wanted to. And, celebration like we have to do both of those things mm-hmm. um, in that in that pursuit of, of excellence we're never going to get perfection it's just not going to happen but we can celebrate our victories and and our wins and and we can also be present in in the losses and the failures mm-hmm. um, and so both of those are so important um, so that we in the holding the right holding of both of those we don't slip so much into perfectionism Mm -hmm. because perfectionism is like, I'm going to deny or anything bad is bad. And there's, it's not redeemable when the reality is in in Christ, like everything is redeemable. Well, and it's such a, it, it stops all forward progress because you, you, you know, you stop taking risks. You don't want Mm -hmm. to even try something for fear that you won't do it perfectly. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So throughout the book, you share stories of individuals and you say that you, you want to help the reader see, hear, and validate our own inner lives and experiences. And as you tell these stories, you delve into some of the most really complex situations mm. that young, gifted, and Black folks face. You yeah. tell stories of navigating the expectations of others and stories of a racial trauma, and even a story of a woman who had an abortion in her late teens and had a complex emotional response to that. And so what are some principles or ideas to keep in mind as we face difficult choices ourselves, or as we find ourselves supporting someone who is facing a difficult choice? Yeah. Well, you know what, I, I think that one of the most important things is that 
you know, we, we do know that, you know, the Lord really meets our deepest need and has the ability to heal our, our hurts, mm-hmm. our deepest hurts. Um, but also most of the time, the, the Lord uses other people. Mm-hmm. And so we really need each other. And specifically, we need people who are going to be there, who are, you know, what I call ministry of presence. Like they are just, they are there to listen. They're not there to give quick answers. Um, they're there to pray. Um, mm-hmm. They walk with us. Um, and they're patient. And, you know, and I, I want to say even in the context of that, that boundaries are important. So, you know, we need to remember that, you know what, we're not there to fix anyone. We're not the yeah. Christ. Um, but we can ask the Lord, how would you, how would you want to work through me in ministering to this person? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, in the book, at the end of every chapter, give reflection questions and um, embodied prayer practices. Um, and one of them is listening prayer. And so as in the co- course of listening prayer, just not just speaking words to God, but listening. Um, what is God saying in terms of the choices that we are faced with? And the notion that God um, is listening, we can find it in listening prayer, but also God is speaking in a myriad of ways and conversations that we're having and a movie that we're seeing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it can be anything, a book we're reading, um, but that we're uh, attentive to what, what he's, he's saying and informing those choices. And I think, you know, the whole thing about people is that we don't make cho- choices in isolation. Um, scripture talks about in many advisors, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to have people that we can bounce those choices off of and, um, and get uh, input. So as to, are we making, are we going down the correct right path or not? Um, and, and so at least you have that information when you make your own final decision. Mm-hmm. It's not solely based on you or on them, um, but it's really what is God saying to you through them and through yourself. It's one of the things that I love so much about your writing, both in this book and in Healing Racial Trauma, is the way that you ground all of these, you know, really deep wounds and um, places for personal growth. You ground it all in the spiritual and you mm. you always bring us back to Jesus, to prayer, yeah. to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I I can just hear mm-hmm. through your writing how much that infuses all of your work. Yeah, yeah. You know what, I want to say that it's not, it's not even just my work, it's my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, even when I, you know, wander off, <laughs> you know, I'm back, I'm brought back to, to that place. And certainly in the counseling that I've done um, over the years, and, and even when I've worked in secular settings, it still was one of, okay, let's, people in this direction um but so i'm i'm really speaking from the place of experience and like my own personal experience my own healing journey uh involved all of those those aspects yeah well and, and you can hear that it's 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 wonderful and i can imagine too that in the the counseling realm that you could get some pushback for always integrating that Yes. Uh, yeah. That element of faith. What's that been like for you? Yeah. You know what? I, I actually haven't had a whole lot of the pushback, but you know what? I, I am, I'm fine. Cause I know what's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I, I really do. And, um, and I've said in other cases, I, as a, I've worked in secular settings as well as Christian ones. And when the Holy Spirit is able to have free reign in a session. I come away with those from those sessions, just blown away mm-hmm. because we get at stuff like it's, it, and it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, secular therapy is not good or it can't be useful. I, it, yes, it can. Absolutely. But what I've seen is that when the Holy Spirit's moving, it's like, it's, it's quicker, it's deeper it's, um, it's real. And um, that's my story. And I'm sticking with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I think it, 
your experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, I think, comes through in your writing because you are unafraid to tackle very important and difficult elements of the human condition. And, you know, in one chapter in particular, you talk about the failings and the sins of the white evangelical church, and it's really heartbreaking. And I'm so glad that you address it, but there's a lot of pain and anger at at the white evangelical church. And so I'm, I'm curious to know how individuals and communities can begin to create spaces for healing and change and how can adults respond well or provide space? Yeah. Um, you know what, I think that there has to be just a fundamental assessing of, you know, are you, are you the type of person or church or institution that really um, takes seriously the, the notion of the body um, that is laid out in, in Second Corinthian and other places, just in terms of just how every piece is significant. And mm-hmm. so if one part is in pain, then you need to attend to that. And so are you someone who is willing to attend to the part that is in pain, that is yeah. hurting? Um, and is your institution doing that or not doing it? And you know, have you addressed your own biases? Mm. Um, and I think that uh, one piece too is just really you talk about the evangelical church and just um, a lot of people who've turned away from the church or angry. Um, and and sometimes you know there are attempts at trying to come alongside and um, to create space and support. And so I was just reminding myself of just a, a friend who had shared how uh, a friend, a white friend had asked her how she was doing after the uh, massacre at the supermarket in mm-hmm. upstate New York. And, um, and she, so my friend, she said to the white friend, you know, um, I'm okay. And she, the white friend was kind of surprised. And she said, wow. And she said, you know what? My question actually is to you, are you okay? Hmm. And so my friend, the white friend was like, wow, like, um, yeah. And she said, well, you actually probably shouldn't be okay because um, that young man did that for you. Hmm. So sit with that for a little bit. Yeah. Like, and, and how do you want to, and, you know, how do you want to respond to that reality mm-hmm. that this person murdered many people because of you, him wanting to protect the white race and wanting to um, make sure you're not replaced, et cetera. And mm-hmm. so I feel like that those two things of just recognizing that there are people who are in pain, people of color who are in pain, on the other hand, you know, and whether it's Black millennials and younger adults or older ones. Um, but then on the other hand, you have people who in, in the name of whatever, white supremacy, et cetera, are doing things and engaging things. And so creating a space is good, but then what are you going to do about what it is that you're seeing? Yeah. Um, and so, because ultimately creating a safe space and the environment not really changing, not really being challenged, um, not looking at the ways in which there's any kind of colluding with this madness, Mm -hmm. um, it will never be a safe space for people of color. Yeah, I hear you saying that, you know, that there's one role in which we, a person can create space for people, but you cannot do that without at the same time standing up and asking hard questions of um, the community, of ourselves, of our nation, Mm -hmm. and taking action to fight against the wrongdoings and being bothered by that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wanted also to take a minute to talk about boundaries, which is such an important topic and you mention it in the book you talk about healing boundaries especially for those who've had violations on boundaries earlier Mm. 
in life, yeah. which I think can apply to a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm wondering what what practices can help to identify boundary violations and to heal them. Yeah. Well, one thing that I, I think that, um, you know, when you when thinking about boundaries, like where are you, like I just identifying places where they're just these high, high walls is like, there's such, the boundaries are so high hmm. that it's not even just like you trying to keep harm out, you're keeping love from getting in as well. Um, where are boundaries really, really lax? How are, have these boundary violations really affected how you respond and navigate through life and relate to other people? So those are kind of like red flags, like, oh, you know what? There may be something that has happened. Um, and so sometimes I you know, will encourage people to really educate themselves about the effects of boundary violations, exactly what those are. Um, you know, we can ask Holy Spirit, you know, has there been something, did mm -hmm. something occur? Um, and sometimes even as an adult, you know, we may have these boundary violations even on in the workspace or whatever, and we miscategorize it or minimize it. Um, and sometimes we don't even know like, well, that's what that was. Mm -hmm. um, and it really does require asking the Lord, like, what, what was that? But also, again, talking to other people. Um, but once we find out that there has been one, um, you know, when we're ready and we've come out of denial, um, then we can start to really look at the specifics of how our, you know, these have affected our lives, whether it's physically, spiritually, or even sexually mm -hmm. um, over time. Uh, and you know, whether this is an early violation or a more recent one, um, that can also give us some clues. Um, and then, you know, as we're starting to look at that, and I'm a big proponent of, yes, therapy, mm -hmm. um, particularly when you're looking at early, early yeah. um, boundary violations and abuse, that, that having a therapist walk you through it, because feelings are going to surface. And sure. It is going to be hard. Um, it's going to, particularly if it was really happened really um, when you're young, there can be this sense of vulnerability and pain that surface and fear that, you know, you're still stuck in that place mm -hmm. where um, you could potentially be harmed again. And so as those feelings surface and we share them with the tr trusted person, we can um, allow the, the Holy Spirit to bring comfort. And sometimes a lot of times the comfort comes from that other person, that person who is able to listen and to walk with us and, yeah. and provide that, that safe space um, that brings comfort. Um, mm -hmm. We can then begin to start to establish who's responsible because sometimes we feel like, you know what, I did it. You know, I should have, could have, would have, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and the reality is that no, whenever it's an adult and a child, the adult is responsible, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's establishing that responsibility. Um, and I think oftentimes too, we end up having just these real difficult, um, the need for difficult conversations with the Lord about, um, okay, God, well, what was that about? Where were you? Mm -hmm. What were you doing then? What are you doing now? Um, you know, just, and, and sometimes we get a clear answer and sometimes we don't. Um, and, and yet undergirding it is the, that sense of God being a redeemer and a healer, even though we, we're not cl clearly hearing like, you know, everything is in a nice, nice, neat bow. Mm -hmm. Um but what we do know is that now as an adult, we're not a child anymore and that um, we can begin to let go of those ways in which we've protected ourselves mm -hmm. um, in ways that actually have shut God out, shut, shut other people out as well. Um, yeah, and then I, mean, I would just say lastly, you know, we're, we're healed and you know, we go through these painful journey of healing 
um, not just for us, but really because it's also for other people. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, you know, scripture talking about comforting others with the comfort that we have received. Mm -hmm. That is so important. Um, And it's healing for other people just to, and I think that's been the power of both of the books is in the sharing of the stories like people have, they can resonate, it resonates with their stories, um, but they read of the healing and the comfort that these people have experienced and it brings comfort to them and it brings healing to them. You have, um, you have one story that um, it's kind of a combination of your story and then um, a person named Ari in which you both confront a parent about a past wound. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I found really remarkable about this was the way that confrontation happened. And it wasn't always satisfying for neither of you it was it was it wasn't satisfying in terms of the response that you got from the other person but there was still healing that happened there tell us about that a little bit yeah so um in in some ways are the stories are similar the background is different Mm -hmm. but um I'll, i'll focus on my piece so mine was around my father um who had left our family when i was 12 and um, left my mother with nine children to raise. Mm. And, um, and so, and he would intermittently call and I don't really, I don't know the, you know, the nuanced stuff behind the scenes. I just had a sense that he wasn't present. He moved across the country to California. Mm-hmm. So we did not see him. We occasionally talked to him financially. I don't believe that he supported us. Mm. I just, I, I'm not sure about that, but that's kind of how my mother painted the picture. Yeah. So I had an opportunity to go to California to, to um, visit him. It was the first time I was there. And um, I was a psych major <laughs> in college. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm going to confront him. And, um, and, and I did. And, um, and I just remember just the pained expression on his face. And um, I go into a lot more detail in the, mm-hmm. the uh, book, but one thing that was remarkable was that, you know, my thought was that, okay, I'm going to tell him he's going to confess and then he's going to say, I'm sorry. And, and what he said was that, that it wasn't true, that, that he didn't support us and that my mother actually prevented him from um, connecting with us, which I have no idea whether that was true or not, but I was disappointed in that I didn't get what I thought I was going to get. And then the next morning he was replacing a toilet in his bathroom and he, a shard of the, he broke the toilet probably mm-hmm. out of anger and not dealing with his feelings and a shard gassed his leg and bloods everywhere. And then I, the one, the only one home who newly licensed dr- had to drive in LA traffic. Oh I, gosh. Was like it was so, he's <laughs> blood is everywhere. It was, oh it gosh. was a, and then it became all about him. So that was kind of, that was kind of my, um, you know, my confrontation. Um, and, but one thing that I did find out during that trip, I would talk about this in the book, was that I had visited his workplace and I remember coming in and him saying, this is my daughter, Sheila. And then the, um, his coworkers, the receptionist, she's like, oh my God, you're Sheila. He talks about you all the time. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, okay. So it was a, it was a moment where it really felt like, um, okay, I wasn't totally forgotten. Um, and it, uh, I, and I think for me, just the whole process of having that experience, um, later doing a lot of therapy, um, and, and realizing how racially traumatized my father was Mm -hmm. and how that really, showed in a lot of his decisions and choices um I had a lot more compassion for him Mm -hmm. and so in that way I really made peace with him um uh, before he died Mm -hmm. um and uh, he died in a car accident yeah I was uh just uh out of college so yeah so and that all that to say is like in my story and Ari's story like we can come at this and hoping that it's going to be a certain way. But, you know, when, when the Lord is involved in, in it, you know, we get healing in a different kind of way. 
often yeah. Yeah. expected. I'd like to talk a little bit about women in academic and professional contexts right now, our listeners, and how they can use this book. Um, you know, so most of our listeners are working or studying in academia or professional spaces. And mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the ways that listeners can use the ideas in this book to support the young, gifted, and Black people in their own lives. Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I talked about earlier about the whole thing about having safe spaces and being a safe person. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, for just in a general sense, but um, there are so many stories and there are assumptions that we can often make about when we see one, um, like when we see someone like Katanji Brown Jackson, she becomes mm -hmm. a Supreme Court justice and we're like, oh my gosh. And they're like, well, everybody can do that. But you don't realize what went into that story. Right. Yeah. Well, those experiences, the things that she had to go through to get there. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes just giving people the space to share that story, um, because that story, I guarantee you, is full of lament and celebration. Mm -hmm. And um, and yes, there's a working hard, but um, it is so difficult to be the first anything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so uh, having the the wherewithal to having dealt with your own issues, your own biases, and wanting to do that. Um, and I think that, you know, you're asking for an invitation, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're going to get one. Um, so I don't, I, I mean, I think as a uh, white person who wants to, or someone who's, and even just in leadership in any form, that um, you may get an invitation to actually sit with someone or whatever, but you can also, you can ask. Um, you can be not just an ally in the sense that a lot of what we saw in 2020 was this whole allyship thing that really felt superficial. Mm -hmm. It felt like people getting swept up in the wave of the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, a year later, it, I, the numbers were really stark. Like what yeah. was like this high percentage was now like down to like 25%. Thought, well, yes, you know, black people are, brown people are dealing with systemic racism dropped to like a really low level. Wow. And so what does it mean to be uh, a real ally? And, and even more importantly, as a believer, as a brother, a sister in Christ, um, in which you're advocating, in which you're partnering with people in terms of their health, emotionally, spiritually, physically, mm -hmm. um, they're thriving. So it's mutual thriving. Um, in you know, scripture talking about loving your neighbor as yourself mm -hmm. um, and looking for what are the opportunities for you to do that in your context. And um, and looking for places where um, you can really encourage that sense of belonging, that everyone belongs mm -hmm. in that, that space, in that job or on that college campus or in your workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and because part of what happens is that sense of being an other or being isolated and um, to have the sense that, okay, there are people here who actually do have my back. Um, and this is a place where I belong. Yeah. Um, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for, for our listeners who may be noticing that their institution isn't as welcoming as it could be, what yeah. are some first steps or first questions that they could start asking maybe of their university or their school or their um or their even their church yeah um you know what i think one thing is that um i would just be careful that you're not going at this alone mm. that um you know you may have this desire to speak up and whether it's on your job or but that and and yes ultimately yes it should be a speaking out but 
if at all possible, that identifying who are the others, um, because we can feel like, oh, everybody has been their knees to bail, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, and God's like, oh, no, there's, there's some people here who are alongside you. And so mm -hmm. when you go in and you have to speak truth to power, whoever, whatever that is, that it's not just you by yourself, mm -hmm. because that's the time when so many people get, you get gaslit, you know, you're told you're a problem, you're the troublemaker, et cetera. Um, and so if you're identifying as a group or in a group could be two people, um, yeah. that there are things that the institution is, that it is doing that's harmful um, and you're clear about that um, and then going and speaking to, um, to those in authority. But the first thing I would say is to really assess who else is in there, is in it with you that mm -hmm. will be able to support you. Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's good yeah yeah I think too with um churches I would say that um ultimately real change is not going to happen unless the leadership team really buys in mm -hmm. uh, into it um but I I feel at the same time if they don't buy into it you can pray and um and there's nothing um to stop you as an individual or a small group to actually um, reach out to those who have been ignored or sidelined. Um, and, you know, you, you can be that. You yeah. can create spaces for belonging for those who have been marginalized in, in the midst. Um, I think also you're going to need to really pray about whether this is the church for you, because mm -hmm. ultimately if this church is really engaging in this kind of behavior um, and an environment that they're refusing to address, then is that something that you should still be at? Yeah. So Sheila, you are a therapist and you don't shy away from difficult topics. And I think you encounter painful stories all around you. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you mean maintain hope in your life? Yeah, well, you know what, one thing first, I, after 25 years plus years of um, being a practicing therapist, I'm not doing that anymore. Oh. So my focus is really on writing and mm -hmm. speaking. And I do spiritual direction and also mentoring. So that, that does happen. But I find um, hope in really looking for ways in which I'm grateful every day. Um, little small things, big things. Um, so gratitude is a huge, huge piece mm -hmm. um, for me. Um, I find hope in the, just the reality that this is this life is not the end of the story. Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's more to come, and I'm not about by and by. I also um, only, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, I look for the places where there are glimmers of hope and goodness and that helps me and I I don't think I could function if I didn't because mm -hmm. you're right there's a lot of pain in the world yeah um I'm also I get a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement when I get feedback from the writing or speaking opportunities that I've mm -hmm. had and whether it's challenge challenge people or encourage um, them or institutions um to confront issues uh, that inflict, inflict pain I'm that brings me a lot of hope and brings me joy mm. um and there's a uh, you know my ministering in this way actually encourages people to pursue wholeness and healing belonging yeah. tell me um what's next for you what are things that you have on the horizon yeah. that you're excited about yeah well i um Sean and Marlena Graves um, just released a book called, um, it's, it's an anthology, so various authors, but it's called The Gospel of Peace mm. in a Violent World. And so I have an essay in that. So that's Wonderful. really cool. Um, and then Natasha Sistrunk Robinson has edited a similar kind of, a, similar to their book, but in terms of various authors, mm -hmm. but it's called Women of Lament and it's a collection of essays. And so I have an essay in that. And it's about lament and it's about hope and it's a beautiful book and it's a diverse, um, diverse women of color. So black, indigenous, yeah, <laughs> the whole gamut, Asian, it's wonderful. 
Um, and I am writing a devotional um, with uh, IVP, uh, my publisher, again. Mm -hmm. And my daughter and I are exploring writing a fiction book together. So that's fun. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. So that's what those are the things. And then lots of speaking, lots of speaking engagements. That's great. Well, I will I will be sure to link to those um, those books and those resources on our show notes. Yay. And Wonderful. so grateful to have you on the Thank podcast. You. Thank you. This was great. I think Sheila embodies such a beautifully holistic approach to mental health and wellness. I love the way her thoughts on counseling and spiritual growth are truly inseparable. And as she mentioned, her book features a number of reflection questions to help make sense of one's own journey. And it's a wonderful resource for anyone looking for new ways to grow in depth and fullness of life. So as we wrap up, you might be interested to hear a bit of bonus content I included after the credits where Sheila talks with me about the very personal experience of losing her elderly mother this year. The Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry doctrine or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from our interview where Sheila talks with me about the loss of her mother. One thing that I wanted to add about during the pandemic too yeah. that I don't want to miss it was that, you know, even though I said it, you know, it did require, gave me space, et cetera, but I also um, at the same time was dealing with my mother who um, had dementia. And mm -hmm. so she was declining during that period. It, it, she actually was okay during 2020 and even most of 2021. And then just uh, really uh, wasn't doing well. And, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. And then we thought she's going to, we were literally told that she's passing. Wow. Um, but then she, she had gone into the hospital, she was dehydrated and, and they, you know, gave her IV fluids and she suddenly rallied. Like she, even with dementia, she suddenly just was a lot more alert. Like she said her name, she uh -huh. would have like, you know, not full, long, long conversations, but she was, she was conversing. She was a lot more aware. It almost felt like she was really giving us all like a send off. And mm -hmm. so my siblings came from around the country. Um, and this is, this actually happened at the beginning of this year um, that it looked like that was it. And um, she, you know, were able to engage with her and uh, it was, it was a beautiful time. And, you know, I thought, Likely, maybe this was a turnaround, but then shortly after that, another rapid decline, and then she she passed away at the end of June. So, you know, there's that part of the pandemic for me. Yeah. It's just the part of grieving, and um, you know, in addition to you know having people that I knew who had COVID and passed away yeah. from COVID, and so um, so that part. Um, you know, the, the grieving part is a significant part of this as well. Sure. And I, I think in some ways it also uh, contributed to the, the book title of Lament and Celebration mm -hmm. and that it's not only the journey for young Black um, gifted millennials and younger adults, but it's for all, for all of us. It's that balance of holding that tension of lament and celebration. Yeah. Um, that's life. Yeah, it is throughout our life. I I have people in my in my life too who are struggling with dementia, and yeah. it's a it's a real challenging thing. And to oh, yeah. to know how to how to connect well. I mean, I think for for the people in my life, we're still at the early stages. But um, I'm doing some reading to 
figure out how to care for them in the best way I can. Yeah, you know what? I think one of the best advice I got from someone who said that, um, well, there were two things that really stuck stuck out for me. And one one was actually a social media post that was circulating of an old man and he would not go anywhere without his wife and she had severe dementia. And, um, and people were like, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I mean, she doesn't, even know who you are half the time she you know she's struggling with that and and he said she may not know who I am but I know who she is mm. it's like wow yeah and that was really like the crux of the matter it was like and so I had to remind myself of that like even though she sometimes she calls me she called me about my name sometimes she called me, called me by someone else's name mm-hmm. um, sometimes I was her daughter sometimes it was her sister um, but I I knew who she was and that, yeah. that was so significant. And the other part was to really just embrace those small moments, whatever they are. Um, and that, so every time I would just engage with her, visiting with her, I always came away with something, mm. something that was like a, a reminder, a memory, a, a small thing, a smile, a, she, that she remembered my name, um, that uh, whatever. And so that those it just changed the perspective of, of having um, someone who was so important in your life to have conversations with her and she's a prayer warrior and all that. And then it's not there, yeah. um, but it's, um, it's one where your relationships are flipped. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like she literally that's how she was, the, how I was as a child, you know? right, right, right. asking questions over and over again, Yeah, <laughs> you know, barely able to form a sentence. You know, right, all right. Those things. So, um, so those things were important to me that it was made all the pain go away, but it, mm-hmm. it was helpful. Wow. 